0: Open your Bibles at this time to 1 Corinthians 16 if you haven't already. Verses 15 to 18 is our text. And I'm going to jump right into reading it. So verse 15 says this. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanos, that they were the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they've devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. Verse 16. That you also be in subjection to such... Men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanos and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. Verse 18 For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. Now, this is a text of scripture that may not jump right off the pages at you. This isn't a text of scripture that you get into and, and you delve into some deep theological subject matter. It doesn't deal with end times. But what this does is tell us about the impact of faithful people, faithful families. And sometimes you might not feel like you're making an impact in a church. Sometimes you may not even feel like you're recognized in a church but God does see it and I think a text like this greatly encourages you and greatly helps all of us to encourage one another this is a text where you get a command that's kind of interesting where I struggle with even how do I apply it look at the very last line when it says therefore acknowledge such men that acknowledgement deals with some aspect of recognition to people in the church and we're going to talk about that in work it out, how we acknowledge faithful people. And so I'm hoping as we come to this passage, it's one that blesses all of you immensely. And it's very practical in its teaching. It's very practical in its way of serving God. As a matter of fact, (laughs) Carl and I joke all the time about the fact that when he says things sometimes in the prayer time that it's like uh, the Holy Spirit has been working to coordinate our work together, and this is in my notes, all right? So, this is similar to somebody coming and giving you advice on a penny stock. So, Carl said, hey, this is a great way to make a big splash. This is like, this, I think, is like someone gave you a great stock tip and said, like, buy this stock on pennies on the dollar, and next week it's going to be worth millions. This is a great piece of advice that if you Follow just this simple instruction that I believe come judgment day you will be greatly rewarded. And I base that on what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and what other texts of Scripture say about coming judgment. This text, again, doesn't jump off the pages, but it's one when you follow it, you say, wait, I can do this. I can follow this. Now, this is a text of Scripture That is about a family. And I'm going to use the word family and I'm going to interchange it with faithful people, but it all keys off of the concept of a household. Look at verse 15 where it says, Now, you're your brethren, you know the household of Stephanos. The word household is just the simple word in Greek, house. And there is a feminine word for this and there's a masculine word for this. We don't have masculine and feminine so much in in English where you can see the way it's spelled that, oh, it's the feminine form, it's the masculine form. But you saw that, you see that in Greek. And I just want to point this out because on this word specifically, it's used interchangeably and they can't always tell why it is sometimes used feminine, sometimes it's used masculine. But... It is a word that has a breadth of application. So sometimes you walk into a house and the same word is used. So I walked into the house. But sometimes it's also used in a sense of a family. And so you would say Stephanos' family, Stephanos' house. And we see that when we also think of like um, a family today, you know, where... That you would recognize many generations in that home. And we see it especially like in kings and queens. You would say the House of Windsor, the entire lineage of the king and queens of England, the House of Windsor. And we know that it is not just limited to family because this is used, this is used by the Apostle Paul when he talks about. All those in Caesar's household greet you. Philippians 4.22 says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Well, when Paul wrote that, we pretty much are aware that Caesar wasn't born again. And we don't know that his wife was born again, but we think maybe could have been some of the relatives of Caesar's home, but also the servants in Caesar's home. So my point in telling you this is when you look at this, we, In verse 15, I want to say it's a pretty broad understanding. We don't know all the people that are under this family of Stephanos, this idea of his household. And the names um, in verse 17, Fortunatus and Achaicus, there's a good chance, if they're associated with Stephanos, that they were part of his household and that they were one time slaves. How do we know this? This is fascinating. Um, the word fortunata means lucky. And so they have found that this word was often given to slaves who were once, you know, under bondage and owned by somebody and they got to be freed. And so they got the name lucky when they got out. And so that became a, a common name so of a former slave. And then Achaicus, is a name that means one from Achaia. And Achaia is southern Greece. And it was also designated with someone that was often a slave. So if you owned a slave and he was from, like, Macedonia, some aspect of, so you know, you would, you would reference that name so that it would identify where the location of the slave was. My point in saying that this is leaning more towards both of these men being former slaves is with Achaicus it wouldn't be a name that you would typically give to someone that is your child because it was often associated with slaves. So you more than likely you know you wouldn't name him Achaicus because people would say oh here if I'm a free person I wouldn't say here's my son Achaicus because they would say wait a second is he a, is he a former slave and you know so you would name him Billy or John or Bob or Susie or whatever. So the idea here is that both names lean towards the fact that they were former slaves. And so the idea is that we're talking about a house, you know, the idea of, of the family and whoever is associated with that house, you know, and the, the unity they have. This word for house is used even when Jesus says, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. So simple word, simple idea here of the understanding that we're talking about a family, and however it extends, we don't know. The, the person, Stephanos, is only mentioned twice in this passage, verses 15 and 18. And then he's mentioned one other time back in chapter 1. Go back there and see in chapter 1. And he was a very prominent individual, obviously, uh, to be mentioned. But we, mentioned, we see him in chapter 1 when it says, as Paul is dealing with the division within the church. And he says, in verse 16... Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanos. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized any other. So that's it. That's the only three times that he's mentioned. Once there in chapter 1, two times in chapter 16. So if you'll go back there and go back to 1 Corinthians 16, I think as we come to this text of Scripture, we come to one of the best passages in the Bible that helps all of you who come to a church to recognize how to fit in. We see, as we look at this text, I think a great benefit and blessing of going verse by verse, word by word. When we come to this text, this is a text of Scripture that can be easily missed. As I stated last week, 1 Corinthians is a long book. You read the first 15 chapters, you got some great theological studies, and then you come to this last chapter, and you see what many people could just easily rush through. And I have challenged you because you come to the end of the book, you've read it, not one chapter, not four chapters, not six chapters, but you've got 16 chapters and you get tired by the time you come to the 16th chapter. He's talking about collection. He's talking about travel plans. And then last week, if you were here, we we looked at verses 13 to 14. And if you weren't here, you should realize that it's a podcast that I greatly encourage you to go back to. Because it has five strong commands. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you be done, done in love. Incredible, spiritual, practical advice. If you want to be strong spiritually, you want to follow those five commands. I hope some of you did it this week. I tried almost every day, okay, I'm going to apply these five and make myself do these. Because spiritual growth is not some great mystery. People are like, I want to grow, I want to grow. Then just do what it says. That's all it is. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you be done in love. And here we come now not to a, not to a command in the sense that it is timeless command... These are time-specific instructions. Stephanos and and Fortunatus and Achaicus aren't coming to our church. But what we're going to see here as we come to this text is a passage not about the greatest Bible teachers in the world, not about the greatest missionaries or evangelists, but we're going to see people that just show up, people that are just faithful, people that just do what they're supposed to do and take their own initiative to do it. What you see here is a text of Scripture. I don't know if it has ever impacted you, but this is a text of Scripture that not a hundred, not a thousand, maybe a billion people or more have been impacted by. Have you ever thought about this? We say, what, what are you talking about? A billion people have been impacted? Yes, because this is the account. This is historically what we believe happened, that, that the apostle Paul is in Ephesus when he writes, when he's in Ephesus. You see in verse 8, but I will remain in Ephesus. And Ephesus is like in Asia and, and Achaia and it, where is the southern region of Greece where Corinth is. And it's hundreds and hundreds of miles away and these three men took a letter from the church at Corinth to ask Paul some questions in a day and age when they didn't have easy boat rides or easy train rides, safe roads, McDonald's, nice hotels, whatever, and they went through all of that to take Paul a letter, and Paul gives them back answers, and those answers are the book of 1 Corinthians. And you think of all the people that have read this book All because three men were simply faithful. Think about that. And so that's all part of what Paul has given us this. Let me read verses 15 to 18 again. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanos, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. Verse 16 that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and their work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanos and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit in yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. Now, again, none of these people are pastors or elders in here. Interestingly, we know when the Apostle Paul plants a church, according to the book of Acts, he would appoint elders. And we would think that the church at Corinth has elders. We would think they have deacons. And maybe because of some of the division where Paul is recognizing there's problems at Corinth, he wants to just focus on these are people that are taking the lead. He's not necessarily even saying anything assuming negative that the pastor or the elders or deacons or there's anything wrong. I'm just saying we do see what we do know is that here is a group of people that are exemplary and are put forth as models and Paul says, look at them and recognize them. So Corinth we recognize is a church that has problems. All churches have problems, um, personal problems, moral problems, and this is the real world. And Paul is trying to strengthen this church. And by putting these people before them, hopefully they will they will be they will be a stronger church. Now, if you have your sermon notes in front of you, I quote the impact of faithful people. That's the theme. And that the fact that it's set in three instructions, and I pu- I'm pointing this out so that you all see this. When I come up with like a three-point outline, or last week we had five commands, it's all because of what the text drives my outline. I don't arbitrarily just come up with three or five or six or seven. And I want you to see that there are three like clauses, statements that sort of like all function to give me my outline. So like the very first one is in verse 15 when he says, I urge you, okay, I urge you, um, and, 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 and it goes to, um, to be in subject to them in verse 16. Verses 15 and 16 are one commingled fr- expression, and, and it gets hard to to, like, pull everything apart. It's sort of like Paul started to talk, and then he stopped. I'm I'm, I'm urging you about Stephanos, but let me tell you about him. So he says, I urge you to be in subject. So basically that's going to be my second point. I'm going to jump to the first one where the apostle Paul says, you know, and and we're going to deal with that first, because in verse 15, the second part, when he says, you know the household of Stephanos, that they were, and now he explains who they were. So that's like one, all, one phrase, and that's going to be our first point. And then in verses 17 and 18, he says, I rejoice because they've supplied something, and I want you, therefore, to recognize them. So that's how we come up with these like three phrase clauses that like sort of work together. So that's the impact of faithful people. So here we go. So what we have here is, first and foremost is remember their prominence. That word for prominence is a big word. I don't try to always have fill in the blanks with such big words. But you see in the second part of verse 15, he says, you know, you know. And the word for know is from one of the two main Greek words for knowledge, and it's a word Oida is absolute knowledge. It's sort of like they're so well known. This is like common knowledge. You all know who these people are. You know the household of Stephanos, that they were the first fruits of Achaia. Now, Achaia is southern Greece. That word first fruits refers to the, the Old Testament. Um, um, concept that was a sacrifice where the first fruits were given to God. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 15. If you're unfamiliar with it, you can study 1 Corinthians 15 because it was tied into the resurrection of Jesus. First fruits dealt with when a harvest was g- gotten and you're waiting for the cross, there would be some type of recognition that these were the first parts of the harvest that were brought in. And where was the text I have? It's in, um, the Old Testament, Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 26, God wanted Israel to have a first fruit sacrifice. Why would he want that? Well because it would show the people that of Israel that they well would show from Israel's side that they were trusting God. I mean, think about it, you're waiting for the crops, you're waiting for the crops, you get this food, and then you take part of it and you offer it up to God and say, well, that's crazy. We've been waiting for this food and we've been waiting for this food, and now we finally get some of it and now we're sacrificing it to God. Why would we, God want that? Well, it's because he wanted them to show their trust that he would come through with the rest of the harvest. And it's used in that expression, first fruits, is used in 1 Corinthians 15. With Jesus, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. The idea is, is that if he was the first, we're to follow, and we're supposed to trust in that succession that we're going to follow. Well, here it's used in the sense where this was the very first family that was saved. And when Paul went into Achaia, first family saved when he went into southern Greece. Now, you study the book of Acts, chapter 17 and 18, when Paul goes into Achaia, which would be Athens, and then Corinth, chapter 18, there's no mention of, these, of this family getting saved. But what we have to do is trust that this was first, and so they were the very first ones. And so they were people that devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. So what do we have here? Well, first and foremost, if I'm looking at this, this is a foundational group for their longevity. And the Apostle Paul has founded the church in about 48-49 AD. He's writing about 7 years later, and what we have here is the idea of somebody that's stuck around. They're faithful. And if Paul was writing to the church and he said, you remember the household of Stephanos, and everyone says, well, who are they? Well, they've moved on. No, they're there. They're faithful. And Paul is recognizing this faithful family and that everyone knows who they are. He says, you know this family. You know that they were the first ones saved in the area, and they're still there, and they're still working. They haven't walked away through the difficulties, the hardships, whatever, and they haven't quit. And so... This is just a great remembrance of the fact that he says, you know these people, you know they're prominent, you know they have longevity. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, you know, is this a big deal? I say, yeah, it is. How we just so th- are so thankful at our church for longevity. I'm going to write, uh, well, I have written for my pastor's report when we have our congregational meeting on September 12th, and, which I hope you all read. And um, I wrote in my report that Christian Fellowship Church is celebrating its 90th year of existence. 90th year. We were started in 1931. And so 2021 is 90 years. And I wrote this. I would hope that um, you'd all read my report. And I said, but Christian Fellowship Church is celebrating its 90th year of existence this year. This is no small blessing. I am giving no credit to our human accomplishment I recognize God's work in and through us to keep our church going. But I add, God has used so many faithful people to make this happen. And we're thankful. Look, when I first got here in 1996, 97, um, we had over 50 people that had been here like plus 50 years. And through people passing, and, and the really the, the exciting thing, is, is how people have stayed so faithful to our church. Um, the people like Mr. and Mrs. Clark who have left us, Mr. Borgia, uh, they've, they've passed on. But the Walkers, Jerry Walkers, these are names that for those of us who have been here for a while, they were so faithful. But you have to know at our church, we are well known for people who just stay and are faithful. You know, she's now a shut-in over the past year, but Edwin Sorge, she's been here over 80 years 80 years, and 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 Betty Craft and Doris Borgia and Mr. and Mrs. Weaver, um, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Um, even, you know, Jimmy Clark, he's, Jimmy Clark's turning 60 this year. Boy, if he turned 60, you're getting old. So um, Jimmy's turning 60. Okay, I turned 60 this week, so that's a joke. Jimmy and I are the same age, but Jimmy's family's here been 70, 80 years. I mean, and those are, that's just absolutely wonderful. It's an incredible incredible faithful testimony and and now even though we don't have as many families that have been here the 60 70 years we have a lot of you who have been here 20 30 40 years i'm just i'm thankful for it i am thankful for it because it makes a difference with longevity people see your life that's what the apostle paul is saying look at this family look at this this group and how faithful they are and you we've seen them and we know what they're doing and they may not have the title pastor or elder or deacon, but just look at them. And so um, what they have done is they've committed themselves to service. Look at verse 15 when it says, And they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. The word saints is holy ones. Now, you know, when we're talking about a family in, in the church, we talk about brothers and sisters in the Lord um, there's other expressions that sometimes are used for Christians. Saints is one of them, holy ones, people who are set apart. We're all saints, okay? But the idea of being devoted to ministry, it's the exact same word we use for deacons, people who serve. And the idea of they, they, put, they go to work, that's the idea. There's a heavy emphasis on work here. And, but what I want you to recognize is that word devoted means to be severely committed to something. And, and so what you have here is they are committed in their service, fill in the blank. They are people who have said, I'm going to work even if I don't have the title. And there's a little play on words and sound in the Greek here. And I'm sure some people just love it that, that, that I bring a Greek lesson for you. But I, I love the language and I love the fact that God does things like this. The word devoted comes from the Greek word tasso. T A S S O. And when verse 16 comes around, he says, You be in subjection. He takes the word tasso and he puts a prefix, uper, under. And so he says, Uper tasso. I want you to be uper tasso to them. But let's just, we're at the point right now where it says, They've devoted themselves to the saints. He's, they, they've committed themselves to the saints. And I was reading um, some background material in his word, and I came across what Pastor Gil Roo over in Lincoln, Nebraska said about this, and I just want to read this. It's a little more lengthy, but I thought this was so good, so it's his words, and it's just something I felt like I couldn't add to. This was so well written. He goes, speaking of Stephanos's, the Stephanos family, he says, they've devoted themselves for service to the saints, and it's interesting, the expression, The word translated devoted means to appoint or to arrange. And really, to translate this literally, they've appointed themselves for service to the saints. This is not saying they were proud or arrogant. It's a word of commendation. What he is saying is that they've taken upon themselves the task of serving other believers. Paul wants to hold up this family up, this household up as an example. They were the first fruits in my, Paul's, ministry at Corinth. Now you know what they have done. They have taken upon themselves to do whatever is necessary to serve other believers. They appointed themselves. Paul didn't appoint them. The church at Corinth didn't appoint them to the task. They didn't sit around saying, if I do it, I'll do it if somebody tells me to do it. They devoted themselves to it. They appointed themselves. Whenever they saw an area or opportunity of service and serving other believers, they took it on. They did it. Paul said, here's a household, a family to be emulated. Sometimes we're all just sitting around waiting to be discovered. If someone would give me a job to do it, I'll do it. But not the family and household of Stephanos. They looked around and saw a need and saw an opportunity to serve, do things that would benefit the body at Corinth and the believers there, and they took it upon themselves. They didn't wait for somebody else. They didn't sit around and criticize. They just did it. And Paul holds them up here as a family and a household to be a model for others. End quote. And so I say stick around, show up, do it. You see something, do it. It's such a great model. And I think again, I don't want to embarrass people. We have so many people in our church to do this. And it makes you prominent. Remember their prominence. The idea of you know is there that keep this before you because this is an example for you to follow. And so stick around and work, and it makes you prominent. But it doesn't end there. And like I said, this isn't some great mystery on how to grow. So now we go to the next phrase, and it's basically fill in the blank, follow them. You see in verse 15 where he starts before he he, he diverts into the background, he says, "Now I urge you." So this is like now; it's a transitional statement. "I urge you" is a command. This not a command. It's a it's a it's well. It, it is just a direct statement. This is something I encourage you to do, and and the reason I sometimes question whether it's a command because the form is the, is the same, but peop, most people have held that this is a just a straight um, instruction. So I'm going to hold it to that. I'm not break. Um, new ground, but it's. I urge you, and remember, it's the same. Um, this is the same idea of urging that he told. He told Apollos, "Hey, I urge you to go, and I'm encouraging you to go." But Apollos didn't go. So maybe some people think, "Well, this is optional." But I'm hoping that you'll follow this. And he says, "I urge you that you also be in subjection to such men," and like I said, the word subjection is. Tasso, devoted, uber, under. And, and so basically he's exhorting them to be under their example. I think this is fascinating. we're not talking about elders or deacons or pastors they're just saying hey look and to me this is like when we have a church work day and somebody starts saying hey let's do this project and let's do that project and they start taking over and they start organizing it and they just start telling people what to do that's sort of the idea is like listen follow don't become someone that is like who who put you in charge And the idea of when we have, like, some dinners or some activities or, you know, somebody just says, hey, I'm going to start a ministry, and they start doing it, and nobody um, is—and the people come alongside and encourage them. We've got that. And so he's just saying, look around, see people that are doing things, and if they're asking for help, follow them. And I like the very fact that he adds, be under anyone who follows their example. Look at that. And it's so easy to be missed because in verse 16 he says— that you also be in subjection to such men. And then he puts in there that all-encompassing to everyone. Everyone who helps in the work and labors. Everybody. So if you see man, woman, you know, teenager, I guess, running a project. That you would say, look, I'll come alongside. i help. And I love the expression of the, the words for work. The word for work is got a, a prefix, work with. And it's a, these are both verbs. Um, participle verbs, that you are putting forth effort and then putting forth effort to toil. And that's where you don't want to miss. The word for labors there is toils. And let me tell you, you know, you take on a project and you start working in the church, and it's hard and it's difficult, and you look around and you say, well, I'm the only one. And so many times I've had this. I, I agree, you are the only one. You are the only one that's done this project. You are the only one that's come there. But God knows that. And, and, and yet, I want to also encourage all of you when you start working and it's hard and it's difficult, remember this word that's used often in the New Testament for people who work in the church is that you come to a point of exhaustion, and it's not going to be easy. Whatever project, whatever difficulty is out there, it's going to be hard. But God says, follow them. And, and I'm just saying, here's this family, and like I said, we've got many families that work so hard in our church follow them. And it's not just faithful families, it's faithful people. Cuz sometimes there's only one of you that comes from a family, right? That comes to our church. And if you're leading, we should follow you. That's what he's trying to say. What a great example. And then you come to the end and he says, "Recognize the impact they make." And so you come to verse 17, and I'm just going to explain it, and then I'm going to break this down. He says, "I rejoice. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanos and Fortunatus and Achaus." Now, that meant he was excited. The idea of rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. All right? And, and the impact is that these people have come. They visited him. I've told you we think that they have brought the letter that is asking questions. And you, someone might say, well, how do we know it's a letter that's with questions? Remember, when we studied 1 Corinthians, like starting in chapter 7, the Apostle Paul uses that Greek expression, pere de now concerning, now concerning, now concerning. I think it's used... Five times where the apostle Paul, like now concerning spiritual gifts, now concerning, you know, he, he is just, um, yeah, it's in chapter 16, verse 1, now concerning. It, that we think Paul was answering their questions. And so these people have come, Stephanos, Fortunatus, and Achaeus, and he says, they have supplied what was lacking on your part. I always thought that was like, hey, he was being negative. You guys weren't there for me, and, and, and th- that isn't the idea. When I looked into this verb this week, it, it, this is more this kind of idea. This is more like, let's say um, Becky would go home often when her parents were alive to go to Ohio, and I would be left alone. And how was I going to eat? And somebody would have to come and, like, bring me food or take me out over their house and, have, and, and feed me, all right? So if I would say you you filled the void for what Becky wasn't able to do. It's not that Becky was deficient. She wanted to go visit her parents. So the idea is is Paul is looking around and he says, "Look, they're not here. I get that, you know, you're not here, the church um at Corinth cuz you couldn't make that long track, but these guys filled the void." So like someone give me dinner, you filled the void. So it's not a negative connotation here. It's sort of like, "Hey, it's just more the commending of what these guys did, how they came alongside and helped. And I just think that's really nice, the way that Paul put that there. And then he says, for they've refreshed my spirit. So that gives like an explanation. They've, they've built me up. And the word for refresh is like the idea of revived. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you, maybe like you're working out and you're really exhausted and you take a drink of water and it revives you. That's the concept here. They've lifted my spirit. But when look at, he says, they've revived my spirit in yours. Why? Because we know that they are going to take the message back. And he's anticipating that it's going to make an impact for them, that this letter was going to help them as well. But then he says, acknowledge such men. And the word there is epigenosko, which is to be totally aware of them. It's sort of like when Jesus would come across into a new area and people would say they would recognize Jesus. And so he's saying recognize them. And there's like the idea, challenge, like how do we recognize them? Do we give them a reward? Do we, we, does it by implication mean, hey, you see them, follow them. So this is what I just basically put here is I think we recognize the impact they make just showing up. They fill the void. And this is what I want to let all of you guys know. I want everyone here to know, if you're a regular faithful attender here at CFC we're a small church, when you show up, whether it's to Sunday morning, whether it's a Sunday school, we recognize it, and it means so much. You come to a Bible study on Tuesday or Wednesday. You come to a situation where we're doing the prayer station, and you show up. It means so much. Sometimes people think it doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter that I've come or not. Yes, it does. You just show up, you fill a void. Um, lifting the spirits of others, that's what it does. It impacts people. And, and so, you know, I think to myself, historically, from my understanding of church history, the majority of churches in America are small. And it's sort of like God, I think, sometimes keeps them small. Um, yes, we would love to have a church of five, 600. We would like to always have more people, We'd love to have more people. But the reality of it is, is it puts that pressure on us to love people, to care for people, to be looking for one another. And so when people come, what do they do? They lift one another's spirits. And so that's what this, these guys did. And, and, and then here's where I said, how do we go up forward and how do we going to apply this? And When he says acknowledge such men. So I'm thinking, I think there's an aspect of sometimes telling people how much they mean to you. And I've tried to do that um, I try to, one thing I try to do so every year, if you're someone who regularly attends and we know that you regularly attend CFC, we like to know your birthday. And part of the reason is, is that I can write a personal note and I take the time to write personal notes to everyone that I've got their birthday and I do it because I care. And I know that in other ways people, we try to acknowledge one another here. That's what I think this little expression and let me tell you, this is the command in this entire section. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Epi ginosco, this was the command. Out of all the instructions here, acknowledge them. Like I said, sp- th- this, is, this is a timeless like, principle because time-specific, these guys aren't coming to our church. So we're just supposed to learn from this. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then I think work alongside them. I think that's part of the recognition here. The idea of recognizing what these guys have done. And, and so you've got this family, this household and they're working and, and to recognize them isn't just to say, hey boy, we're going to give you a, a Sunday school pin, but what we're going to do is we're going to say hey, I see you need help I'll try to come alongside and I'll help. Be a self-starter. This is why you follow this, I think on judgment day, you will be so rewarded. You think some that you just showed up this morning and didn't mean a lot. It means everything that you've shown up. And you get to work and you do things and it makes a world of difference. I wrote, what an incredible group of people. They became a prominent family just by serving, just by showing up. So much so that Paul says, follow them. And and, and if I tell you, if they tell you to do something, then do it. Recognize that it impacts others when you act like them. People who do the small things become leaders in a church leaders by example commit to being this type of person and you will be rewarded commit to being this type of person and you will be invaluable to a church and that's why i would say almost every one of you are invaluable i tell you i try to tell each of you that you're important and when you show up it means a lot to me and to others and there are other terms in the bible for the church family brothers and sisters in the lord but ultimately, God is our Father, and God our Father sees all, everything that you do. And sometimes if you don't feel like you're being recognized, remember, God sees when you pray in secret. He sees everything that you do. He knows what you do. And it's my bad if I don't always acknowledge you. I tell you that. Um, but we love you and we care for you here. And so I know this is the way he wants his church family to function. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in this family. And I pray that every one of you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this text of Scripture that is just about a family. And and what an opportunity to just think back on this family and what they've done and how they were so faithful and how they impacted the entire community. We pray, Lord, for the families and the individuals of our church, that they recognize how important they are and how Need, how much we need them to just be faithful to show up to be someone that is just taking upon themselves and working there are so many needs in a small church and there's always the need for someone to take initiative and i know for myself and the elders and the deacons sometimes it's hard to just always be asking people will you do this will you do that when the heart desire is that people would take it upon themselves. And I thank you for so many who do. We thank you for so many who do. So I'm asking God that this is a text of Scripture that buoys the spirits of all, lifts people up, makes them recognize their role in a church, makes them think more aggressively of things that they can do. We are a needy church, God. I humbly come before you, and I tell you, we need people. We need things done. But I'm thankful for those that have spent 80, 60, 70, 80, 50 years here. We thank you for little boys that have grown up, like Pastor Don Rector here and Wayne Weaver. And they're still here. What an incredible testimony those men are. So, Lord, as we look at this text of Scripture, even though we don't know Stephanos' family, we know many families like it. And for that, we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.